Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. In this series, we celebrate 40 years of the brand Rab and chat with key people behind the scenes. Here is a glimpse of what's coming up. I was into skateboarding, had an accident with a number 18 bus at Euston Station, ran over my skateboard, couldn't afford to get a new one, and then ended up going to climbing more. And that no was way. it. Problem solving is probably the root thing there. If you try something, make it, doesn't work, recut it, redo it, problem solve, and actually end up with something that is what you've had in your head or what you've drawn or what you're, you're trying to achieve. I think the whole, whole of society is much more aware of our impact on the environment. As a manufacturer of outdoor equipment, we have quite a big impact. We're trying to reduce that. We're on this, this journey to be net zero by 2030. Why is loads of my friends up? It's like, look at this bit, how rubbish is that? And they're like, just leave it, it's a higher car, don't worry about it. <laughs> In this episode, I managed to get a very busy man to sit still, no mean feat. Tim Fish, product director at RAB, talks about his love of wild places, climbing and bouldering in North Wales and the Peak District. We get a glimpse into the mind of a top designer. I ask him, as a brand, how do you avoid imitating others? What is the process from an idea through to reality? How do you start? Who decides what colour fabric to use? In terms of creativity, did he always know that his brain worked a bit different to other people's? This is a rare opportunity to understand the world of a top outdoor designer. Tim, hey. great, to, great to see you again. Um, what is your job exactly? Uh, I am product director at Equip. So Equip obviously across Rab and Low Alpine. No pressure then? No pressure, yeah. Small little job. Small and you still, to do. you still get out and about and see you've got some tape around your finger. Is that, is that a design injury or is that uh, a climbing no. injury? That was a A2. Uh, pulley tendon issue on Saturday, climbing oh. with Yakover, I think you've also interviewed. Oh. Over in Wales? Yep. So you took Yakover to Wales, great weekend? It was awesome. Apart from the finger? Apart from the finger, that was, it was just cold, reaching up, trying to get a bit of gear in, pack on, kind of, you know. Just... Pete Seat's breakfast? I took Yak, so Yakko, chatted to him, Italian mountain guide, I was like, we'll go for the full Welsh climbing experience, bunk bed at Pete Seat's, um, pizza with a friend from DMM on Friday night, and then early starting to over to Idwall, big long link up route around Glidavour, back round, and then yeah, kind of a takeaway by the lake. Cracking. And then a breakfast at Pete's on Sunday morning, which I think was a bit of an experience for him. The real deal, the proper, yeah, yeah. proper kind of weekend warriors. It was. Over it was in a, Wales. A mission, a North Wales mission. Yeah. And Wales is somewhere you, you've spent Time. Yeah, it's been a, a lot, lot of time, time in Wales. You were saying yeah. that there's some family connections there? Yeah, I think Wales is one of those places. I go back to North Wales, just feel at home. Just like, know it well. Spent a lot of time there as a kid. Um, well, actually, my great aunt Betty owned a cottage in Vaquen, which wow. when they were selling off the miners' cottages from the slate quarries, I think I think they paid £300 for a cottage. Incredible. If you're driving, you know, the Vaquen road, when you're driving Beautiful. up, and that Beautiful. first left turn where you get the view over Paddon up to Snowdon, yeah. it's that one on the corner. No way. So it's... We used to stay there all the time. Wow. But now you're in the bunkhouse at Pete's Eats. But, yeah, yeah, they sold it a while back. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Staying there or camping in our van a lot of the time. So you were into the outdoors as a, as a, as a youth? Was it yeah, just something you... Early teens, kind of got into it. Um, grew up in central London. It's not somewhere you kind of expect climbers to, to kind of come from. Yeah. Um, 
was into skateboarding. I had an accident with a number 18 bus at Euston Station, ran over my skateboard, couldn't afford to get a new one, and then ended up going to climbing wall. And that no was way. it. Yeah, my 14th birthday, got put, bought a pair of rock boots. Can that you was it. What sort of rock shoes were they? They were, oh God, what were they? Blue 510 Huecos. Wow. High tops. Excellent. Pink laces. Were you, I mean, 14 at school? Were you already yeah. kind of, your, were you into art? What subjects were you into at school? Um, design and art was, obvious, was pretty From obvious. a very early age? Yeah. Never great at uh, more academic subjects. I was definitely a, a creative, creative kid, always making stuff. Paper, cardboard. Yeah. Just for the creative. sake of it? Or? Yeah, I think just like making things and creating stuff, which I still love doing now. So yeah. that's kind of that is what I do. Create, yeah. create things with... Did you, at that age, did you think, wow, there's a grown-up world out there where I can get paid to do this stuff? Um, I did, but it was probably more aware of, in terms of like commercial artist or advertising or architecture, which I think was kind of a completely different direction. And then actually I got a bit older. I was like, I actually kind of, I like doing this. Did you I'm go like, into that world then of advertising? To start no, the no, kind of, definitely my GCSEs and A-levels were steered towards art and design. Um, so what was your, as an undergrad, you were in Sheffield, weren't you? Yeah, it was. So... Hallam? Yeah, did a foundation course at Central St. Martins. Um, got offered industrial design degree course placement there, which back then was like the place to go. Turned them down so that I could move to so Sheffield. St. Martins is London, that's like one of the places. Oh, it, yeah, it's like Central St. Martins design degree is like there. So I said, no thanks. Moved up to Sheffield. Why? Because uh, I wanted to go climbing in Sheffield. With the Gritstone. Yep. And yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, moved up to Sheffield before I started university. Spent kind of six months or so climbing and started my course in September, I guess, October. I think it was, I realised it was 93, so the, like, I think you were, like, as I was finishing, yeah. you were starting and, and, and similarly over at the university, I, I was worried that you were stalking me at one point, but no. No, no I was on no, Salt so, Lane, yeah, went to okay. Sheffield City Poly. Brilliant. Did you go to the real one? Or the... No, Hallam first and okay. then the uni later. But that was a yeah, great department, slightly out of town, wasn't oh, it? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine now lives there, where the old workshops used to be. They're all houses and flats now. And so. what, what, what did you do during those three years that sort of, if you like, I don't know, set you off on this path? So... Um, out climbing a lot. Um, really enjoyed my course on design. Cruised through my first year pretty much failed my second year because I went climbing too much. Also did my SBA and ML. So right. it was kind of, I, was, okay. I was instructing yeah, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Uh, working at Whitehall, Duke's Barn, places like wow. that, to kind of to pay yeah. sort of for university. Um, yeah, pretty much failed my second year. Uh, and then pulled my finger out in my third year. It was actually at that point, my major project was a buoyancy aid um, with Peak UK. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Derbyshire. Hello, kayaking company. Um, did a buoyancy aid for disabled people. They had to help access wow. um, outdoor sports. With a friend of mine who had actually set up a company designing outdoor adventure equipment for disabled people, which he still does, lives up near Glenmore Lodge, which is quite a nice link now. Yeah. Um, did that as my major, major project. Learned to sew, which was pretty instrumental in what I do How now. How did you learn to sew? Did you have to go and get a sewing machine or did you have access to a sewing machine? Taught, taught myself. Borrowed one from a mate. Uh, he showed me the basics and then started making little stuff sacks, made a bivy bag, tent, uh, lightweight pack. Pete Astles, who runs Peak UK, 
taught me a bit more, taught me how to pattern cut a bit. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind of got so into just that. learning on and that. actually loved making stuff. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, so is that satisfaction of what coming up with an idea and then following it through? Uh, yeah. What's what, what's what's the buzz in that? Um, problem solving is probably the root thing there. You try something, make it, doesn't work, recut it, redo it, problem solve, and actually end up with something that is what you've had in your head or what you've drawn or what you're you're trying to achieve. Um, and then actually finally seeing it done and finished, which I still get in my job now. I think one of the greatest satisfactions I get is being out on the hill or climbing, and you go, yeah, we did that. So when I saw someone walking across the Burbage Valley with a big yellow rucksack, yeah. didn't know it was you, it was like, we did that. And then you turned up, and it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So Excellent. Good. And, yeah, so talk us through that. that is, it, is it always like that? So you always start with a, a purpose, an intent, at the beginning with, with, or with probably, design? Probably... Um, Quite often that intent is actually to solve a problem or provide a solution to a need. So you start with the yeah, problem. Almost. I think that's where a lot of designers will go, I want to create this. And actually the commercial interpretation of that with what we do is, okay, there's either a market opportunity or there's a new movement in the outdoors and people are moving faster vertically. Therefore, there isn't the equipment, the product, the apparel that will provide what they need from a carrying point of view, the protection or whatever, in a kind of a modern way. So you're identifying a problem and, uh, and then trying to provide the solution to that problem. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. what are the, I mean, it might seem obvious, but what are the problems that you're trying to solve at RAB 40 years on? I guess yeah. some of the same problems, different problems. What yeah. is it you're trying to solve there? It varies by product type, product range, all sorts. Okay, um, let's take ski touring, because ski touring is interesting because there's been an explosion in ski touring, yep. often in the UK. We don't appreciate how big ski touring yep. is for you know the States, yep. Europe, but more and more British folk are like, yeah, we want some We're of that have as well. Yeah, yeah. And ski touring is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you, you've got two completely different things. You're going uphill, you can get hot, mm -hmm. uh, and then you're skiing. So what are the what are the challenges you're trying to solve that in the shell, let's say? Of that's an interesting one because that's probably a, a real key thing that we've delivered for winter twenty, winter twenty one. Um, so as a kind of a, a British brand, skiing has been a little bit off the radar. But as we grow internationally, we know that mountain people they ski all year round. In yeah. the way that we'll go and ride a bike in winter or go to the wall, they go out on skis. Yeah, so it's kind of it, it's normal. Um, what we've done there is actually come to a new market area in skiing. We've got quite a lot of skiers in the business and brought our, our mountain knowledge and know-how about how to dress materials, prototyping, construction and fit into, into skiing, into ski mountaineering. So we're actually going, we've got some great fabrics that we know work fantastically stretchier, they're more breathable, they're more robust, or um, how we put them together is different than what people are currently doing in a ski mountaineering market. So we've brought our existing know-how into a new market area, so thereby kind of providing some really great performance product into a different um, category, I suppose. Yes, I'm thinking just, like, you know, as a mountain guide, I'm doing a lot of ski touring, I'm thinking that, you know, one of the big challenges is that it's trying to sort of be comfortable when you're going mm -hmm. uphill. Mm 
mm -hmm. but then suddenly you've got that performance element when you start to ski, yep. where suddenly how the garments are on you has a massive impact on how you ski, the, you yep. know, the sort of stretch and stuff. So yeah, yeah. So you yeah you start with that in mind. I, th I think the other thing there, Andy, is the like packs are probably almost more important. If you've got something that's stretchy, windproof, and breathable, it will be comfy going uphill. Then you get to the top at transition, you take the skins off, go to ski mode, very easy to layer up. Um, but the pack you're carrying doesn't actually get much lighter and it's probably more likely to be moving around, swinging when you're skiing. Um, I think that's where a lot of problem solving can come in. A pack needs to do quite a lot of different things in a day. Yeah, and the thing about, well, there's lots of things about packs, aren't there? Sort of interesting things that, well, first of all, I always think you seem to get a lot for your money. Yeah. for what a pack is yeah. compared to something else yeah, you, do. Uh, you know when you might go out shopping but trying to I guess what's the big challenge with pack is it is it sort of trying to make them light but also they can carry the load or uh, do you have a board where you think these are the things we're trying to solve with a with yeah. a pack so often that comes in the product brief which comes from the research so we'll, so we'll try and put our mind our kind of mindset in the the place where a skier is going to be using a pack either by personal experience or talking to people and assessing what they need and coming up with a criteria, almost like a tick box, i.e. a product brief, and then making sure that we're fulfilling that product brief as we work through the design process. Um, I think the thing with packs is the versatility. One minute you want it to be really small and lightweight and you don't notice it. The next minute you've got everything stuffed in it and it's heavy moving around and you need it to carry well. And God forbid, you then need to be able to ditch it and get into some emergency AVI equipment really quickly. And it's trying to tick lots of boxes. Well, I mean, going back to RAB, you know, it's 40 years. Mm. What is the, the core the kind of message, I guess, the core brand message in your view? Is there something that there, you always have something in mind when you're designing? I think for me, it's authenticity. It's kind of a key thing for me. It's one of our kind of brand motto strap lines is the mountain people I think most people that work here are mountain people and we live it and breathe it and that gives the whole company an air of awesome but a, a genuine authenticity about what we do so everyone here uses the kit we make and the clothes we make so I guess that gives you confidence because to be a designer presumably you need to have a lot of confidence and yeah. conviction in, in what you're doing yeah it's a you do, but you need to also be very aware of when to stop. One of the first things I ever got taught was learn to kill your babies. So you might come up with an idea and you think it's the best thing ever. Everyone else in the room just goes, nah, not happening. You need to learn to go, okay, there's a reason why. It's not worth pushing so far, kind of single-mindedly blinkers on. So so it's you, a, it's a, yeah, it's a real it's balance, a, it, that, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because you, you might have a really... Yeah. a potential project so you don't want to ditch it too early so it's how yeah yeah and I think that's where you learn a lot as you progress through your career I think when you're you're young and hot-headed like, I'm gonna do this I'm gonna change the world with this yeah. and actually what you don't realize is people that tried it 20 years ago learned their lesson and go yeah we did something like that might not work because of this or those guys did that so you need to learn when to presumably balance. sometimes as well you, you're ahead of the curve a bit too early yeah. does that happen yeah loads. I think um, I think Low Alpine did that a lot. 
some of the things that Low Alpine have come out with over the years have been ahead of their time and probably commercially not been the biggest success just because they were too early and society and customers didn't accept it. And then now look what everyone else is doing. It's like, actually Low did that five, ten years before yeah, yeah. everyone else. Yeah. I mean, you've, yeah, I've you know, got you, you, you've got some I've, of the prototypes. I've got a that. shed full of prototypes. My wife wants me to get rid of it, but I, I'm, I'm clinging on to. And confidence. How do you avoid imitating others? Because it's very easy to think, mm. oh, such and such a brand are doing that. That might be a mm. good way to go. But how do you avoid that? I think that's where having a very strong brand helps. It's like we're Rab. We know what Rab stands for and what it is. Um, and I think that sets us on the right path. So it's like it's not about copying and imitating. You also need to be very aware of what your competition is doing. So to make sure that you're not copying or accidentally kind of infringing on a patent. And it does happen. Great minds. Kind of be fabric suppliers will show two brands the same thing and they'll both come out with a very similar style the following year because that's what you're presented with. So it's kind of being very aware of the, the market and what people are wearing and what people are doing. Yeah. The process of design, so let's say you, 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 you're starting from scratch, because I know sometimes you're, you're actually, there's something out there that's already brilliant, people love it, so yeah, you, you, you might be making small adjustments, but if you're starting with something completely from scratch, talk us through that process. So from you having an idea, you and the team having mm -hmm. an idea about something, I'm imagining on the back of a fag packet or yep. whatever. Yeah, yeah. scribbling somewhere. Yeah, um, from there, to arriving, you know, in a store or online that, that, that somebody, you know, mm -hmm. could buy. So that's a long process, isn't it? But could you give us just a few minutes on roughly what it has sure. to go through? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's multifaceted and very complicated. Uh, not the idea creation part, but the delivery all the way through. Um, that's partly why Rab's as big as it is now with all the different teams. Yeah. Um, we'll have an initial concept. And that might be a brief from a product manager or a market request for something or a harebrained idea by some yeah. young, hot-headed designer. We'll then assess that. Um, we'll develop it. We'll then have a kind of a gut check, a, a design concept review yeah. to make sure that other people believe in it, um, agree that it's worthwhile to proceed with. We'll then look at where it would be costed, what would happen, is it worthwhile making, is it viable to produce, We'll then go through a development process where we'll actually make prototypes, samples, get them tested, um, use them, check fitting, check construction. We'll do that with the factory. Some of the time that happens in-house. In parallel to that, we'll also be choosing colour, fabric, making sure that the colours and fabrics will be available for when we need them. So you're working on concurrent timelines, kind of different elements that all need to come together later down the line. Um, we'll then eventually get to a place where we've made sales samples, which will be one size, multiple colours to show to a retailer and launch to our sales teams. From that, we'll then go and get production orders, kind of sales orders. And from that point, we then actually make, turn it into a commercial reality and make sure that all the sizes are made, the grading's done, the costings work out, what factory it's going to be at, how they're going to ship it the logistics, what container it goes on, where it's, which port it's going to come into, which distribution facility and ultimately which retailer. In parallel to that, again, there's marketing preparation, 
this launch material. Very different to that project, the Boinchier back in Sheffield. Yeah, that was me sitting in a, <laughs> in a room sewing for three months. It's amazing, isn't it? So it's, a, it's it basically, is. it is a massive team effort. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of, there's a lot of communication across a lot of different teams that needs to happen at the same time. I think something I've learned from myself and then kind of employing younger designers is university and design degrees don't teach you any of that. They teach you a, a skill set and a thought process. How that's actually applied into industry isn't there. There's not that awareness of you need to get this done to allow this to happen, to allow that to happen, so that those guys can have this and these people can do that. So you can, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big element of training people up there, yeah, I guess. Yeah, very much, yeah, yeah. You yeah. get someone that can kind of think and can problem solve, but believes they've got nine months to solve one problem rather than two days, and it yeah. needs to be communicated to a factory on Friday. So it's timelines, it's project management, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a large element of project management. With yeah. often very small windows. Yeah. So how mm. do you create the space for innovation then when, you, when everyone's so busy? Is that, is that a challenge? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, because kind of, there's lots of other things going on with concurrent seasons. So we'll often work on three seasons at once. So we work in spring, summer and autumn, winter. And at certain points of the year, all three overlap. Um, Must be the, interesting. Yeah, and actually, a lot of I do, it's actually five seasons going on. Just you think, what year is it? <laughs> Which season are we working What's on? my name? What have we launched? <laughs> and what's going into store now? Yeah. You yeah. have to kind of juggle five different seasons at once. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But you, hopefully you still get to get involved in that early process as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very hands-on with product. I think, kind of going back to your question, the making space... <laughs> Sounds a bit weird. We, we kind of go, right, this six, these six weeks, there's nothing else going on. Design team can just go away and design and think and create. Um, can be quite difficult because you're quite prescriptive. It's like, you've got, you've got six weeks to go away and come back with an idea when actually you might be the kind of person that comes up with an idea on a Sunday afternoon out bouldering. Yeah. It's not, you, you will innovate between nine and five, Monday <laughs> yeah, to Friday. Sure. It doesn't work. Yeah. You will no, no, no. And do yeah. people, Use you know sketches. Is that where it comes from? Oh, yeah. is, is that is that is that a loads. design? Yeah, yep. loads. Of, yeah, sketchbooks upstairs. Look, more and more we use, we kind of use Illustrator for those sketches. Yeah, it's, it's kind of digital. But yeah, yeah people have got sketchbooks and there's a lot of fag packets scribbled on. Excellent. So I mean, if if you were giving advice to anybody out there who thinks, wow, that sounds like a cool industry to be involved in. I mean, what? Any tips on that? I think learn to draw and learn to communicate quickly and efficiently. Right. So much of what we do is down to communication yeah. and communicating efficiently. So you get one chance to launch a product, either internally from, from me to you or from a designer yeah. to a, a product manager or a salesperson to a shop. If you get it wrong, you've predetermined that it's kind of, there's a negative air about it. Right, so, so two big skills, that's good advice. And I guess there are lots of... And aren't there specific courses in outdoor design out there as well? No. No, not really. No. Um, there used to be one in Derby, an MA in kind of yeah. sports design. There's a few that touch on it. We've worked with a university to look at kind of bringing it back in. Yeah. Um, it's pretty small and unique. Right. I think a lot of um, equipment designers come from either footwear or an industrial design background. Yeah. And then most of our apparel designers come from a fashion background. Yeah. Um, Often, being climbers or outdoor people, they've steered their fashion degree towards working in an outdoor 
yeah. an outdoor company. Focusing on RAB, 40 years, I mean, presumably you, when you got into climbing, it was a brand you knew of. Yeah. So what does it feel like working, you know, being involved now at the, in RAB? Pretty special, actually. What's yeah. special about it? Um, it's really, really exciting. It's kind of constantly changing, evolving, growing. There's a buzz and an energy about it. It's, yeah, it, it's very exciting to be involved in, in a brand and a company that's going through what it's going through now, at the pace that it's going through in a world context. If you kind of look at what's happening in the world and we're doing pretty well. It's, it's exciting, it's yeah, good. And but obviously, we're obviously getting some things right. You get some things right, yeah. Materials, yeah. you know, a lot of what you guys are doing, it's, 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 it's about the quality of the materials. Mm. The down, down's an interesting thing, mm. isn't it? I mean, yeah. I was amazed, I mean, it's, um, you know, I don't know much about the long history of down, but presumably it's been used for a very long time yep. to keep people warm. Yep. Um, what are the challenges with working with down when you're trying to design? Uh, how to keep control of it, basically, where you put it and kind of learning how to construct a garment with where the down goes. So it doesn't migrate out. It doesn't migrate or yeah. you lose it or you, you squash it. You need to allow it enough room to, to loft, basically. Yeah. It's very easy to design a garment that the, kind of the, the two walls are too close, and therefore it's not very warm. But then if you go too, too big, you end up with too much space and it's, it's quite a... Sleeping bags is an interesting one. You change the, the thickness of the wall depending on the down and the warmth, how much down you're putting in. Um, I think I think with down is consistency of supply. Yeah. So it's, it's graded with different fill powers. Yeah. Um, making sure it is what you what you're getting, and then treatments can alter that down. It's whole science, whole level of science with down. And things are so light, yeah. but so warm now. Yeah. You know, going back to say when Rab was starting out, that what he had to hand. Um, the outer materials and stuff, you know, the weight of a pack then, weight yeah. now, presumably it's changed quite a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're now making garments with seven denier outers and thousand fill power uh, down inside compared to what would rather have been using 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50 Ds and 650 fill power. And garments, yeah. sorry, garments, materials generally, are there any things out there that are exciting? Is there, are there exciting stuff out there? Or where's the holy grail with sort of fabrics? Because I guess just thinking from myself as a user, you know, I can, I can go really light sometimes. Yep. But that's not great if I'm going to be sort of going up a granite chimney. Yep. But, and so it's, it's almost, you know, where are we in terms of getting stuff that's light, but also strong and breathable? I think way better than we used to be as a whole industry there's still a whole education piece about expectations that you can't have the holy grail it doesn't exist you can go really lightweight or really tough but it will be burlier and not get shredded chimneying up some so there's a, there's a bit about crank. there's an education piece there isn't there yeah when yeah, you... yeah definitely i think the outdoor industry and consumers do accept that if it's lightweight and will allow them to move faster and more easily it won't last as long. Um, if you go back to kind of packs of old, yeah, thousand e Cordura lasts forever. Yeah, but weigh a ton. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's absolutely. Weighing off the two sides against each other. I was thinking about: Do you sometimes use 
Okay, you're working in the outdoor industry, position at round, but you're sometimes looking to other worlds for ideas. Yeah, loads. Yeah, you yeah. sort of think, oh, what about that over there in yeah. a completely different world? Definitely. Give us an example of, I don't know, how that has ever happened. Um, speed lacing on footwear. Yeah. Classic one, kind of fast speed lacing on some running shoes. There's pack compression, great, works amazingly. Excellent. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, I think good designers do that a lot. It's kind of cross-contamination of ideas from one industry to another, either at material level, a style and design level, um, for, for setting an aesthetic direction. It can be construction techniques. So we, we'll, we'll look at how footwear's bonded and apply that to a, a pack or something. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, there's a lot of... Are you the sort of guy that, you know, if you come across something that's designed really badly, it like annoys you? Oh, yeah. You know, like, say, in a car God. or... Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Wise loads of my friends up. It's like, look at this bit. How rubbish is that? And they're like, just leave it. It's a higher car. Don't worry about it. <laughs> just don't just move on. Yeah. And yeah. Ga- definitely. Have, you got, have you got any favourite gadgets? Are you? Are you sort of? No, I'm not a gadget person. You're not a gadget person. No. 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 It's funny. I'm not a gadget person, and I'm probably really bad with my own outdoor kit. So I probably don't own anything that's actually the final article. Because nearly everything I use is a prototype or a development sample. So invariably, people are like, why doesn't your hood fit? And it's like, oh, well, it's a prototype and we made it, we made it right, but we're testing the fabric. Yeah, so I often get that. I come in and, you know, show and they're all, we've already solved that. Yeah, yeah. you know, often I'll. Yeah. 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 We kind of turn up with a bag with two different shoulder straps and no badge on it. What's that about? So will you, I mean, people might not be aware of like what does prototyping involve so I'm envisaging that you've got an idea yeah. and you might make different versions of that same yeah. thing in different yeah. fabrics and then yeah. it, is it tested or how does that work yeah prototyping is the so it's it's the realization of something's in your head into 3d so we'll draw a pack or jacket and we'll go okay we think it's going to look like this um, we've got a great workshop here where we can go and make a lot of things We'll go and make a mock-up in a, a basic fabric to check the shape, volume, put the kit in it. And go, actually, it's a bit small. Let's make it a bit bigger. So that's when you kind of reiteration of prototyping to get to where you need to be. And it might be testing fabric. Um, sometimes we'll get user um, kind of wearer trial garments made up in different fabrics and go and try three or four different things. Body map what's on there, temperature sensing, all sorts of actually this fabric works better than that fabric it's real kind of art and science isn't it it is yeah 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 and i think the art bit comes in with you can make something that looks amazing well works amazingly you put it in a shop and it looks like a bag of spuds no one's going to buy it so there's that commercial the hard commercial reality absolutely yeah how it looks in the store people go into a shop and visual interest is what it's what goes and draws them up to something um, and a lot of people will go up and they'll touch things and that's their kind of interaction with it and that's it's creating that desire of why someone wants something as well as providing the performance whether that's to keep you dry to keep you warm stop the, the knees wearing out on your cragging pants or to make the pack carry, carry more comfortably yeah, and I mean, so it's kind I mean, of weighing up the two I mean as a climate and yourself as a climate it's funny that you put something on let's say a jacket and you kind of know really quickly yep. it's going to work yeah. the pieces that you think the cut of this yeah. will allow me to climb 
I always say to people that if I hardly noticed that I had it on yeah. while I was climbing, that is the ultimate kind of praise. Absolutely. Of if, you, if you don't think about it, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, this is really uncomfortable and I'm not very happy, but I need to keep struggling with this. So, in today's world, I guess there's a big move towards um, being responsible yep. in the industry. Mm -hmm. Can you chat us through mm -hmm. a little bit of what Rab are doing? Yeah, I think it's very, very topical at the minute. Um, Rab, for a long time as a company, has, has been very good at being uh, environmentally aware and doing as little damage as possible. Um, if you go, <laughs> if you're going to dovetail in another little story here, but if you go back to early days of Rab, everything was repaired. And my first meeting with Rab was at his old studio, in, well, workshop in Edward Street as a student. I remember it, yeah. In the early 90s, yeah. going there, That's cycled right. across Nether Edge. And went, Can you refill my down bag for me? I had this shell and he refilled it. First time I ever met him. Brilliant. So, um, I've still got that sleeping bag as well. The, what we're doing now is everything we can as quickly as possible. Um, I think the whole, whole of society is much more aware of our impact on the environment. Um, and as a, as a manufacturer of outdoor equipment, we have quite a big impact. We're trying to reduce that. We're on this, this journey to be net zero by 2030. A year and a half into that journey, but we've made massive inroads. Um, it's not that we weren't doing anything before, but it's probably two things. We wanted to do the right thing and do it as well as possible, but we weren't quite clear on what that was and how to do it, so we probably didn't do enough. Um, we've now had some external help, we've employed people that are really driving that and directing it, so we know where we're going and how, and as a company we're firmly committed to to moving that way. I think the other big thing is we never told the story very well. So kind of our repairs are industry leading. If you look at some of our competitor brands, they talk about it loads. We've been doing it for decades. So you just need to shout about it. It's shouting about it. Yeah. 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 It's not that we were bad, we didn't tell anyone. It was just it was a given that of course we repair everything. Or build it to last in the first point in the first place. So yeah, it's great, isn't it, that we're, we we can we have that repair attitude, which is what we would do if we're on a trip anyway. You yeah, know, when, when what I, gaffer tape was invented for, exactly. wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and gorilla tape. And then as, as on that responsible bit, we've got the um, looking after the workers, the fair yeah. wear as well. That's something else yeah. that's a couple of years in now. Yep. Yeah. Um, our factory relationships are second to none. And Matt, who owns the company, knows all the factories personally and travels there a couple of times a year, um, pre-COVID. So I think we have very, very strong relationships with our factories. They're long-term partners. Um, Fairware is an external company that, that help assess the kind of the state of the factory. And if anything's wrong or could be done better, they'll help us put that right at the factory. So it's a, it's a big tick. It's yeah. good. Yeah. from an industry standard but it's not the only tool that we use to help us with that there's a few others like Amphori, BSCI um, help us make sure that factories are up to scratch and doing the right thing Rab now obviously we've got 
client, I'm trying to think of you, your, your clients, if you like, the customers, the people that are out there using uh, the garments, the kit. It's not just climbers, is it? There's, you're making stuff for runners, yep. hikers. I mean, talk us through all those different, you know, do you have almost like, I don't know if you have mannequins in your room or- Personification. Is that the word? Yeah, Personification, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I think that it, we can come in a couple of different ways. And the, as a design team, a product creation team, we need to understand what our customers are doing. So to do that, we need to know what, what sports they're doing. So that's when we go, actually, there's climbers, there's mountaineers, there's people that go walking, there's runners, uh, there's skiers. And people that do actually probably all of that. And actually, that's a key thing that where the mountain people's really strong. So if you're a, mount, you're a mountain person, that's right. and I know that you go running, and you go cycling, and you go skiing, and you go cragging, and you go, you go track climbing, and you go sport climbing, and you go mountaineering, and you go ice climbing, you're a mountain person, you do all those things, um, and you could, and you probably do, wear a different element of our range for all those different activities. There will be some crossover pieces. Yeah, and absolutely. You, and you, yeah. and you, yeah. you, you learn to love those, because you know, I wear it ski touring, yep. I wear it winter climbing, I wear it cragging in North Wales. Exactly. I wear yeah. it down the pub. Yep. I so do wash it, by the occasionally, way. Occasionally, yeah, yeah. So, so, so we identify what those things are. Um, and we don't design for a completely different market. That's key. It is a, it's a rab, that's us. Like it's, it's a rab mountain person. We'll do all of those things. It might be slightly regionally specific. If you live in Bavaria, you probably spend a lot more time on skis than you do bouldering on gritstone for obvious reasons. So you, you probably know that actually someone in the UK is probably more likely to buy from this area of our range. If you're Bavarian or North American or Canadian, some of our ski apparels probably can get to see a lot more action. Um, it's an interesting one. I think the other thing to highlight there is a lot of people wear rab apparel not just doing those activities and that's because they want to feel a belonging and be seen to be part of that, that kind of crew. It's yeah, like by wearing a rab tee, you're going, I'm a climber. Yeah. It's like you, you want to identify as a climber and be identified as a climber. I think it's true, isn't it? I mean, I've got a couple of t-shirts that um, probably need updating, but they're just like my climbing shoe. You know, Thursday after work, I put yeah. that on, yeah. finish work, I'm out now. You know? yeah. yeah. And someone else that's a climber, oh, yeah, you, you must be a climber. Cause you, you, you want to belong to a It's changed thing. a lot, hasn't it? I, I had to review a book the other day, uh, Victor Saunders' new book for the Alpine Club, Cracking Book, and it starts out in the 70s. And I think back then, there was one place in London you could buy climbing equipment. And he has this great line. He said, yeah, when I started, climbers dressed like cavers. And <laughs> <laughs> Somebody the other day jokingly said, well, there's still a few of them about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, yeah, you can be on a railway platform, all the different yeah. colours. Yeah, it's, it's much more um, mainstream. Yeah. It's, it's, norm, it's normal. I think we're also seeing as a big trend to, with a lot of what's happened the last couple of years, people being outside. Yeah. It's like kind of what would previously be seen as relatively technical apparel is just the normal wear because people want to be outside and... Yeah. It's just, it doesn't mean you can buy RAM, you don't have to be an extreme climber, you might be going for a walk. And the market's growing, more yeah. people coming into it. Yeah. So Tim, it's, yeah. been, it's been great to chat, but just, you know, 40 years, amazing story really. Uh, I know you're really proud to be uh, part of it. Going forward, what's the, the, the big challenge? 
What's the future? What's the future? Fundamentally not changing what we do. It's kind of a bit of a magic recipe of um, delivering fantastic product that's very accessible to people. Um, I think the, I think brands that are, are successful also identify very closely with their consumers and customers. And I think if you look at some brands, if you're a customer and you go, I want to buy from them because they're like me, they know what I do. They're climbers, the skiers, the mountaineers. There's an, an affinity there. I think and that is one of the, it's authenticity. Is that word again we're chatting about earlier? And you've got lots of people that you work with day in day out that, that oh, yeah. are out there after work. They've got, their climbing kit is in the back of the car, isn't it? It lives in the back of the car. Or they've cycled in, or they're off and they're a bit Run. late on Monday because they got back late on Sunday night. Brilliant. Great to chat. And Cheers. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, hit like, or leave comments. That would be brilliant. See you next time.